Thank you so much. Hadley, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, JT, musicians, beautiful singing. This Sunday is a special Sunday, as you know, and uh, I want to officially, this morning, welcome Pastor Nick, Hannah, and Karis to our church family. Amen. Welcome. Yeah, amen. Pastor Nick and I, by the way, we'll be in the lobby after the service and we'll be greeting folks. Again, I'm recommending bumping elbows. A lot of stuff going around, so uh, be careful not to spread anything. As you know, Pastor Nick has preached for us a couple of times, but today is the first time he's preaching as our associate pastor. It's the first time he's preaching as part of our church family. He's one of us, and uh, we're very thankful for that. So one more time, let's welcome Pastor Nick as he comes to share God's Word. Amen. Still not. There I am. Can you hear me now? There you go. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity to preach this morning and privilege to uh, serve the Lord this way and to come on staff at Gospel. It's uh, been an honor to look from a distance and see what God is doing here, but it's also a privilege to now be able to experience it. And so we're grateful, Hannah and I are grateful for uh, the, the privilege to be here. I was told, uh, threatened, uh, actually, not to say anything about the Duke game and Carolina game last night, uh, but Pastor Paul forgot to mention that him and I are also available for counseling for any uh, Carolina fans that need it. All right. I got it off my chest. We are grateful to be here and to serve uh, under Pastor Paul and I want to personally just thank him and, and Karen for their uh, kindness to us. I've said it privately, but I want to say it publicly as well. Uh, you know, I don't know many pastors. In fact, I can count on one hand the amount of pastors I know serving at the same church uh, for 40 years, and uh, for over 40 years now. And so I want to encourage you to thank your pastor, our pastor, by the way. I want to encourage you to do that today if you haven't done that. You better take every opportunity you have. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about uh, how a congregation should relate to their pastors. 17, verse 17 is a challenging verse for every single member of a church. It says, make sure that the ministry is not a burden, but a joy. A joy. Make sure that uh, we encourage our pastor and to make sure it's a, a joy, not a burden. So I want to thank him for that and for the ministry there. You know, the average tenure of a pastor is uh, three years. I just read that this week, three years. I think, Pastor Paul, you've done that, uh, outdone that uh, several times now. So we appreciate that. And uh, my wife and I are so privileged to be here. Uh, she told me this week, we were driving home on Wednesday night, and she said, you know what, those people at Gospel are really kind. <laughs> she said that twice now. I just want to say, as a pastor personally, that means a lot to be able to come in and be accepted, and, and you guys have been so kind to us and uh, thankful for that. If you have your Bibles, open up to Jonah chapter 1. 
Jonah chapter 1. For the next four weeks, uh, we will be in the book of Jonah looking at a chapter a week. And uh, some of you, as you're turning there, you're probably uh, having memories come back to your mind as you're thinking over the times in Sunday school and thinking over the times in class that you've learned about Jonah. And maybe you're here and you uh, don't know anything about Jonah. Either way, this book is filled with several challenging things for our lives as Christians. And you're probably sitting there thinking, how does a book written 2,000, 3,000 years ago, how in the world does this apply to me? How does a story about a man being swallowed by a well have anything to do with my life today? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I'm sure you're all thinking that. All of us have a Jonah inside of us. The spirit of Jonah, the attitude of Jonah is present in our lives today. See, if we're honest with ourselves today, all of us at some point in our life have ran from God. And maybe you're here today running from what God has for your life. That's exactly what Jonah did. And that's why I've titled the series with a question, Are You Running from God. I want you to ask yourself that question. What is God calling you to do? He's asking you to do something today. It's never a time in your life God doesn't have a purpose or a plan for your life, and he's never in a time he's not asking you to do something in your life today. So what is God asking you to do, and are you running from him? Jonah ran from God. He was a disobedient prophet. He was a rebellious prophet, and you will see that throughout the entire book. Even in the midst of times where he's repentant, there's still a rebellious heart in Jonah's life. But in the midst of all of that, what you'll see throughout the whole book, and especially as we look at chapter 1, what you will see is a rebellious prophet, but also a merciful God. You'll see a gracious God. And not only will you see that in the book, but you'll see it in your life. You think about that. In our life, what do we do? We mess up. We rebel. We sin. But what does God do? He shows us mercy, doesn't he? See, even when we are rebellious, God is still merciful. God is still merciful. And as we look at this story of a rebellious prophet and a merciful God, what we're going to see today, we're going to see three lessons. I want to draw your attention to three lessons today that you can see as we look at a rebellious prophet and a merciful God. And I want to jump right in this morning to Jonah chapter 1. For sake of time, we won't read the whole passage. In fact, what I want to do is just walk through uh, each verse for us today uh, as we have time and consider these lessons for our lives. So, uh, let's, let's dive in to Jonah, pun intended. You get it? All right, that's a little slow. Let's dive into Jonah, right? Pun in, just making sure you're paying attention here, okay? Let's dive into Jonah. Notice verse number one. The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying this, verse two, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Notice how... The Bible opens up. It opens up with a call, with a purpose for Jonah to do. God had come to Jonah and said, I want you to do this divine purpose, right? I want you to follow these plans for your life. There's a specific place and a specific time and a specific people I want you to go to. By the way, that's how God works in our life today. Nothing that you go through in your life, nothing that God calls you to is an accident. 
See, we serve a purposeful God who has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us, and that's what he's doing here. He has a plan, a purpose for Jonah. But notice verse 3, Jonah, what does he do? He does the opposite of what God wants him to do. He runs from God. Notice verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God said, go. Jonah said, no. He was supposed to go east to Nineveh, but what did he do? He decided to go west to Tarshish, 1,500 miles in the opposite direction of where God was calling him to go. And by the way, that's not the way you obviously know that a prophet should respond, right? You look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, when God calls Isaiah, what does Isaiah say? He says, here am I, send me. God goes to Jonah, he says, I want you to go. Jonah says, here am I, send somebody else, right? I don't want to go. I'm not following your will, Lord. Now, why did Jonah disobey? That's the question I want to ask today. Why did Jonah disobey? Some think that Jonah had a problem with the Ninevites. And rightly so, but the Ninevites were a terrible people. Some think that Jonah didn't want to obey God. I don't think that's it. I don't think he'd run. If he really didn't care what God had to say, he'd stay where he's at, right? He'd be apathetic, but he cared. He didn't have a problem with the Ninevites either. We'll see in a second, but he could have. You think about the Ninevites for a second. They were a terrible people, cruel I don't know if you know anything about the, the history of the Assyrians and, and uh, the capital of Assyria was Nineveh. And what they would do is when they'd capture a people, by the way, Israel served under their captivity for a time, but when they would serve under these people, when they would take over a, a nation, they would actually bury these people that they would capture. They'd bury them under the sand. Now, this is not what you're going to hear in Sunday school, okay? You're not going to hear this in your classes. They're, they're going to bury these people under the sand where their head's showing. They're going to take their tongues. That's what the Ninevites did. Take their tongues, drive a stake through their tongues, and let them just languish in pain. And then after they die, what they do is they literally make art out of their bodies and their skulls. They were a terrible people. You could see why Jonah would have a list of reasons why he wouldn't want to go to the Ninevites. But I really don't think that's the problem. I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think that's why Jonah didn't want to go. Really, Jonah didn't want to go because he had a problem with God. You see, his problem wasn't with the Ninevites. His problem was with the God of the universe. We said, Pastor Nick, how do you know that? Turn over to chapter 4. I want you to see this. If you have your Bible open, turn over to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, God gives us the reason Jonah wanted to run. Here's why Jonah wanted to run. Notice verse 2. He, he said this, and I prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. Why? For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. Jonah says, if those people would have repented, God, you're so merciful, you're so kind that you'll actually forgive them. God, I didn't go to Nineveh. I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I knew, Lord, you would forgive me. So Jonah runs. In fact, verse 3 tells us Jonah ran two times from the presence of the Lord. But we know that you can run, right, with God. But what? You can't hide. You can't hide. Psalm 139, I read that this week in my devotion. Psalm 139 says, Lord, where can I go from your presence? What's the answer? Nowhere. Nowhere. You can't get away from God, and yet Jonah tried 
to run. We could think of this in, in terms of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the, the Great Commission that, that Jesus gave that we just sang about, that Jesus said, go into all the world and what? Make disciples. See, Jonah had that commission to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach the truth of the gospel so these people can hear the truth. And friends, by the way, we have the same commission. Matthew 28 is written to us as well. We are called to go and make disciples. We are called to go and make more Christians, more followers of Jesus. Here's the problem, though. The Great Commission has become a suggestion. It's no longer a command to many of us today. We, we don't look at the Great Commission and say, well, that's for somebody else, that's not for me. A lot of times we come to it and we want to debate it. See, God's called us to obey it. Not just debate it, obey it. So think about that with me. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When was the last time that you were so burdened over a lost person who lived next door to you that you couldn't sleep? When was the last time you cared about your coworker who's dying and going to hell? If I'm honest with you today, some of us would say we don't care. It doesn't burden us. It doesn't matter to us. Why? Because we have the spirit of Jonah. We care more about the game this weekend or the vacation coming up than when we do about the soul going to hell. Does that not bother you? Does it not bother you that there are people who live next door to you that don't know Jesus? your family members, your friends. Listen, the, the, the spirit of Jonah is alive today. And if we're not careful, we can run from what God is calling us to do. We can disobey the Great Commission, but not just the Great Commission, we can disobey any commission God has given us. We can disobey any command that God has given us today. That includes what God is calling you to do today. So let me ask you, friends, what is God calling you to do today? Is he asking you to walk in holiness? Is he asking you to give up a sin? Is he asking you to get involved today? You think about how many opportunities we have at Gospel. I was just reading through the weekly and, and monthly connect. There are so many opportunities to get involved to make an impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, we don't do an Easter celebration coming up in a few weeks. We don't do that just to have a lot of fun. I promise you, the people that put that on don't do that just because they want to stay busy and they want to have a lot of fun. You know why they do it? They want to impact our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They want to get busy, and they want to see people get saved. And I'm telling you, we can't do that without your help. We can't do that without your help. We've got to see people come to know Jesus Christ. We have to get busy. So what is God calling you to do? Right? We can ignore it. We can run from it. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. When you run from God, when you run from what God is calling you to do, you will always find that it's never worth it. It's never worth it. I want you to think about that with Jonah. See, Jonah was called by God, and, and the problem with Jonah was this. The problem was that he didn't understand God's calling. 
It's not that he didn't understand what God was calling him to do. So some, some think they come to the will of God and, and they say, well, I don't really understand what God is calling me to do. That happens, right? We all have problems discerning what God is calling us to do. That's not the problem in Jonah 1. It's not that Jonah didn't understand what God was calling him to do. The problem was the fact that Jonah understood he just didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. He knew what God wanted him to do. He just didn't want to follow God. And friends, we do the same exact thing. We know what God wants us to do many times in our life. Guess what? We just don't want to do it. In fact, that's the first lesson I want to show you today. First lesson I want you to see is this for your life. We don't always do what God wants us to do. And notice in parentheses there, it's never worth it. See, many of us know what God is calling us to do. We just don't want to do it. We just don't want to do it. See, that was Jonah's problem. He knew what God was calling him to do. He just didn't want to do it. Let me illustrate that for you for a second. A few months ago, Hen and I were, were driving down 150 here on the, on the highway. And uh, we were turning off onto another road. And right around the corner, there hidden in a driveway was a police officer. In fact, a state trooper. And I was driving there, and by God's grace alone, not sure how this happened, I was actually driving the speed limit. <laughs> Ask my wife. Driving the speed limit, and I said, there's a state trooper. You know, you sit up straight, make sure everything's in order. One thing I forgot, though, was my seatbelt. Don't look at me like that. You do it, too. You do it, too. I forgot my seatbelt. And, you know, you do that, you're like, got to plug it in there real quick. Nobody saw that, okay? So I put in my seatbelt, and sure enough, you know, everybody watched the, the show Madagascar, the movie Madagascar, Little Penguins. If you haven't seen it, I'd encourage you to do that. It's a kid movie, but yeah, the little penguins are trying to break out of the zoo, and, they, and they, they say, smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. It's exactly what I did. I smiled and waved, just hoping that state trooper didn't see me, right? Well, sure enough, we passed him, and what did he do? Worst nightmare of your life, right? Pulls out behind me, comes up on my tail. I'm just saying, Lord, by God's grace, please make sure this guy doesn't pull me over, right? Guess what he does? Turns on the blue lights, pulls me over. Hannah's in the side next to me, elbowing me. I told you to put your seatbelt on. <laughs> Nobody asked you, Hannah, right? So I wanted to say, so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm praying, Lord, just by God's grace, will you just please make sure, you can just give me a warning, don't do that. Walks up next to the car, rolls down the window, he said, sir, do you know you're driving without your seatbelt on? I said, yes, sir, I know why, here's why. I'll tell you, I was praying that you would just get saved, and that's the whole reason I was, had my seatbelt off. <laughs> he said, well, license and registration. So I handed my license registration, and, uh, you know, at that moment, I, I could have given him an excuse, you know well, you know, I was tying my shoe or, you know, I had my seatbelt on, you just missed it or, you know, I was trying to make sure that I get this, you know, thing out of my way so I wouldn't get distracted. I mean, I could have made up an excuse, but what I did, I said, no, sir, you know what, I was just driving and didn't have my seatbelt on. He said, well, let me go figure out what's going on here. So he goes back to his car and I'm just praying, Lord, please, I was honest with you. I was honest with the state trooper. Will you please make sure that he doesn't give me a ticket? Comes back, hands me back the license and and registrations, and he says, now, sir, you know you're supposed to wear your seatbelt. It's a good thing to do. And guess what he does? Hands me a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I paid for that decision. 
I will not tell you publicly how much I paid either. <laughs> I knew what to do. What, though? I didn't want to do it. It's the same thing with Jonah. Jonah knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He just didn't want to do it, and it cost him. It cost him. It's never worth it to disobey God. It's never worth it to go against what God has called you to do. Yet people do it all the time. Have you ever met somebody, they say, well, I know I shouldn't do that, but mm, I'm just going to do it anyway. Or I've met teenagers, they say, well, I, I know I shouldn't hang out with that person. All the parents are nudging the teenager. I know I shouldn't date that person, but it just feels so good. I, I just need to do that. It, by the way, I hear parents say this too. They'll, they'll come to me and say, you know what, I, I know I should be in church, but my child has to make the soccer game. Or they'll say, listen, I know we're supposed to be here on Sunday morning, but I just love my lazy Sunday mornings sitting in my pajamas. I know we should be there, but we just got so many things going on. I know I should be involved in a, a Bible study fellowship. I know I should be involved in serving, but, man, we just have so many sporting activities and so many recreation things going on. I, I know I should be doing that. What do they do, though? They make an excuse. They make an excuse. I want to say this. If you want to find an excuse to sin, I promise you there will always be an excuse. If you want to find a ship to Tarshish, there will always be a ship ready to allow you to disobey. You can always find a reason to do the wrong thing. And by the way, we have an enemy, don't we? We have an enemy who tries to make sure he finds the excuse you need to sin. I like what somebody said. They said this about Satan when it comes to temptation and Jonah. We have an enemy whose whole role is to ready the ship for your disobedience. We have an enemy whose whole role, what does the Bible say? Satan walks around as what? A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You better be ready. You can always find a reason to disobey God. Here's the truth, though. I don't want to get to heaven. If I'm being honest with you today, you probably picked up, I'm, sometimes I'm a little too honest. <laughs> Just the way I do, okay? But if I'm honest with you today, I don't want to get to heaven and make an excuse with God. I want to say, God, I, I know I was supposed to serve you, but look at my child's championships, right? Uh, God, I know I was supposed to serve you. I know I was supposed to give my time to you. I know I was supposed to do these things for you. I know I was supposed to give my life for you, but... God, look at all the vacations we, we had on the weekends. Look at all the, the Sundays we had together. Look at all the practices we made for our family. Man, I don't want to get to heaven one day and say, God, here are my excuses for why I didn't serve you. God, here are my excuses why I didn't give my time and my life to you. No, I want to get to heaven and say, God, I gave my all. God, I gave my time. I gave my effort. I gave everything for eternity. I really don't want to look back one day from heaven and regret the things I wasted my time on. I want to look back one day and say, Lord, I gave my all. I gave my all for the Lord. You should always do right. And by the way, I know Pastor Paul and, and many of you would agree with me. 
I've never regretted doing what's right. I've always regretted doing what's wrong, though. Never regretted doing what's right. Like what Bob Jones Sr. said, good quote. He said, do right, do right, do right, till the stars fall. What? Do right. Do right. You're going to have opportunities to do wrong in your life today, friends. It's never worth it. It's never worth it to run from what God has for your life. Notice now, notice now where Jonah's at at this point. John chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 3, he's running from God, but then he gets to verse 4, and Jonah is in the bottom of the ship. Notice Jonah had gone down. You see that progression there. What did he do? He went down to Joppa. He went down to pay the fare. He went down into the ship, and then we'll eventually see he went down into the belly of the, the well to to find himself there. Down is always the direction of disobedience. You can never go down into sin and come up in holiness. You can never sin and find your way up out of that. I like what somebody once said. They said the most miserable person in this world is a Christian in sin. You think about that. If you're not miserable over your sin, you probably need to check your own life. The most miserable place in life, the most miserable person in life is a Christian in sin. Charles Spurgeon said, God will not let his children sin successfully. That's good. God won't let you sin successfully. Notice here, Jonah's about to find that out. See, Jonah's in a comfortable place, right? I mean, he's so comfortable, he's asleep. Think about that now. The man's so comfortable in his sin, that he's actually laying down in the midst of a storm. And he's trying to find rest, but he's about to run into the God who created everything. Notice verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. This is no ordinary storm. This is a God-sent storm. Supernatural. So much so, so much so, friends, that these sailors who had spent their whole life on the sea were afraid. They were so afraid that the Bible says they began to shout out to their gods. They, they began to throw things over the boat, just asking for help to make sure that they get relief. But then they find no relief. And so what does the captain of the ship do? We'll notice in a few verses here, the captain of the ship begins to question everybody on the ship. Are you right with your God? <laughs> do you have anything against your gods that are causing this storm? He begins to go to everybody, and then he finds Jonah, verse 6. Notice this now, verse 6. He says this, So the shipmaster came to him, that's Jonah, and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so, be that God will think upon us, and we perish not. Jonah's found asleep. But notice the pagan sailors have more spiritual discernment than the man of God. They know that... The God of the universe is the one that sent the storm. And so they say, why are you like this? Call out to your God. Verse 7 says they, they casted lots. In other words, it's an ancient equivalent of basically pulling straws. See, they were superstitious. But notice that we have a sovereign God behind all of this. Where's the lot fall? On Jonah, right? What's Proverbs 16, say? The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is what? From the Lord. God is sovereign in the midst of all this. 
and it falls on Jonah. And Jonah runs into the Lord at this moment. And notice, this is the second lesson I want you to see. Spiritual rebellion will always cost you. When you sin against God, it will cost you. And by the way, you won't get what you paid for. You won't get what you paid for. The fleeting seasons of sin never pay back what you put into it. Your sin will always cost you. And Jonah is finding that out very quickly. He rebels against the one who is in control of the world, and it's costing him. I like this quote. I'll put it up here. I know Pastor Paul said it many times here, but I want you to see it again. It says this, Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will teach you more than you want to know. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. And sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. It's actually what happened to, to Jonah's life, and it happens to us as well, friends. We will always pay more for our sin than, than, what, we, than what we should Sin will cost you. But again, you'll never regret doing what's right. Notice verse 8 now. Then said they, this is the sailors saying to Jonah, said to him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? They begin to question Jonah. Jonah, why is this happening to us? Where are you from? Notice Jonah gives the answer in verse 9 and actually gives us more information than what they asked for. He says this, And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. I find those verses so ironic. <laughs> you remember Jonah was called to give the word of the Lord to sinners. And he's running from it. But what is he doing here? Giving the word of the Lord to the sinners. <laughs> It's so ironic that Jonah is now doing what he didn't want to do. So Jonah gives them the answer. And then the sailors rebuke him. And by the way, they rebuke us. Anybody that has the spirit of Jonah today, here's a good rebuke for us. Here's a good reminder for us. Notice verse 10. Then were the men exceedingly afraid. And what did they do? They said unto him, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. I like how the NKJV translates this. It translates it as a question, why have you done this? Jonah, you serve the God of the universe, the one who made the sea and the storm and made all of the world, and you serve this God. Why in the world are you running from him? Why would you do that? By the way, that's a good question for us today who are in sin. If you're a Christian today, if you're a believer sitting in these pews this morning and, and you're distracted by disobedience, that's a good question. Why would you do that? Why would you go up against the God of the universe, the one who's in control of everything in your life and disobey him? Why would you go against what he's commanded in Scripture? It's a good reminder for us. Why would we disobey God? It will cost us. It's a dangerous place to be. You'll never be paid back either. Notice now verse 11. Verse 11, I'll finish up here. 
Verse 11 says this, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee? And the sea may be calm unto us, for the sea wrought and was temporous. In other words, it was overflowing. It was a powerful storm on the sea. What, what are we supposed to do? Jonah answers in verse 12. He says that throw me overboard, right? Just throw me overboard and everything will be okay. Notice how Jonah didn't respond though. He didn't respond by saying, hand me an oar, let's, let's get back to shore, right? He didn't try to fight the storm, okay? He, he didn't become a hypocrite either. He could have taken the chance and said, well, if you just get on your knees and repent of your sin, you'll be saved and this storm will stop. Jonah couldn't have done that. He was a sinner. He didn't do that. Notice though what Jonah did. Jonah said, throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. And everything will be okay. So what did they do? Well, verse 14 says they actually tried to fight against that and then they noticed, though, verse 15, they couldn't do it. Why? Because God's in control. God can do what he wants. And they knew before Jonah knew that God was the one behind all of this. So what do they do? They throw him overboard. Now, we don't see it here, but I could imagine as Jonah is drowning, he actually has a smile on his face. And you say, why does Jonah have a smile on his face? In the storm, calm now? Why would Jonah have a smile? Because the act of throwing him overboard, the act of asking to be thrown overboard was actually an act of rebellion. He was saying, I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. I'd rather die than do what God is asking me to do. And so Jonah is smiling as he's drowning. He's smiling as he's drowning. But notice here, God doesn't let him get away, does he? See, you can run, but what? You can't hide. You can't hide. Notice verse 17. What does God do? Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now some people will try to argue that there's no way a fish could swallow a man and hold him three days. There's no way that this could happen. But by the way, this argument doesn't hold water with me. That was pun intended, okay? All right, you're getting it now. <laughs> it don't hold water. Jim York and I were talking just this week. We went to lunch and we said, listen, if you believe in Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth, you should have no problem believing anything else in the Bible, right? So let me go on record as saying this. I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. I believe that God created everything into existence, I believe God parted the Red Sea and they walked on dry ground. I believe that God held the sun still so Joshua could fight the war. I believe that God brought the three Hebrew boys through the fiery furnace without a smell of smoke on them. And guess what? I believe Jesus performed miracles, healed the sick, quieted the wind, and made the waves calm down. And let me say this. I believe that Jesus Christ came to this world. He died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and he rose again. And I believe one day he's coming back with all the power in his hands. I have no problem saying that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. It was an act of rebellion, but God brought mercy on the life of Jonah by sending a whale. We say, how do you know that? Well, notice here, there's two miracles, two miracles in chapter one. There's the miracle of the great storm. That was an act of divine judgment against Jonah. But notice there's also the miracle of the great fish. That was an act of divine mercy on the life of Jonah. 
See, God was bringing mercy in his life. He was giving him a second chance to serve him. It's an evidence of God's grace against a rebellious prophet. So I want to say this, and here's lesson three, and I'm almost done. Here's lesson three for your life today. Listen to this. I love this. this. Our sins are great, but God's grace is greater. Our sins are great, but God's grace is greater. The fish was an act of divine mercy and grace for the life of Jonah. He was gracious and merciful to the one who ran from him. And friends, by the way, God is also gracious and merciful to us. He's merciful to us. And we don't deserve it. Love what Pastor Paul said a few weeks ago in a sermon on Jesus Christ. He said that Jesus is the one who takes the hand of God and takes the hand of the wretched sinner like me. And what does he do? He brings them together. And he forgives our sin. And so, friends, if you need a picture of God's mercy in your life, you better run to the cross. You better run to the cross. Our sins are great. But God's grace is greater. Our sins are many, but his mercies are more. His mercies are more. Run to the cross today, friends. You can find God's mercy, God's grace in your life. Let's pray together. As the musicians come today, with every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you a chance to respond to the message. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've stumbled in this room and you've never come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never accepted His grace, I want to encourage you that today is the day of salvation. I want to challenge you. You'll have a moment. You'll have some time here in a second to come forward. Pastor Paul will be here. We'd love to talk to you about God's grace in your life. If you're here and you need to realize that God's grace is far greater than your sin. Maybe you're struggling with something. There's time. The altar is open for you to come and confess that before Jesus. God's grace is great even in the midst of our sin. Father, you're so good to us. You're so kind to us. We're grateful to have the opportunity to open your word this morning. We're humbled by the truth of it in our lives. We pray, God, that we will seek you above everything else to do what's right. Because we realize sin has consequences. And so, God, we praise you for that. We're grateful that in the midst of our sin, you are gracious. Lord, thank you for this time. We pray that you move. It's in your son's name. Amen. Please stand with us this morning. As I said, the altar is open for you to come. If you need to spend time with Jesus, we're here available as well to pray with you and uh, to help you in the midst of your time.